0: You don't have to worry about standing up. If I do a Bible study at night like this, like I drive, somebody might have to wake me up. <laughs> Let's see here. All right. I'm going to go on with what I started the last time I gave a sermon, that was on unity. So unity number three. So it means there's, or it's number two, number, well, I think it's number two really. Which means there's going to be a number three too. <laughs> when I spoke on unity the first time, I spent most of the time going over the Relationship that Christ and the Father had—they are one. They—they they been one for eternity. We don't know exactly how long they've been one, but I know as a human being, it's hard to depict eternity because we're kind of fixed in a box. You know, we—we're stuck on this earth. We can't go much beyond the moon, and only for a very short period of time. But God has no limits. No limits on time, and no limits on where he can go or or anything. But Christ, Emmanuel, as we call him, and we understand now, and the Father were one all the time. They agreed. Not that they were one being, they were two separate individuals, but they were one in mind, one in ideas. They're, they never fought. It was one would make the decisions, and the other would say, that's great, you know. So I could try to tell my grandsons that were here, I said, you don't argue with your mother. You just say, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. Well, that's the way we ought to be with God, and once Christ was with the Father, they they agreed. They didn't have a problem that I'm bigger or better than you are, but well, that's what human beings are. So I tried to spend a lot of time in that first sermon there showing that relationship that they had. They were unified. It's something that we need to learn and strive to get to. I also covered it where Christ followed the Father. You know, Like I said, the Father made the decisions. I was reading in those papers that Ross left here on the book of Eden, and um, even in that book, whoever wrote that, that book of Eden showed that Adam and Eve were living in light inside the garden and the one that became Christ uh, was always there telling them when they were put out of the garden uh, they were in darkness and the one that became Christ pointed out to them he, because he said because of your transgressions you're going to have to live in a period where you have darkness and light, darkness and light, 24 hours of uh, night, 24 hours of daylight, you know, as the sun varies. So they had had to live that way, but this being said, until you will live in darkness and light and live outside the garden until I come in the flesh and live like a human being and die. So, as the book of Genesis and other places in the Bible tells us, Christ was sacrificed from the creation, from the creation of Adam and Eve. So it was his will. He was following the will of the Father all the way from the beginning. And in John uh, chapter 5, verse 19 says, Then answered Jesus and said to them, talking to the people, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, Even this book, and and throughout the Bible you read, Christ said, I can't do anything of myself. But what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. So Christ said, I follow the Father. That's why I want to try to point out to my grandson, parents have a lot longer lifespan than you have. They've been down the road, they know things, just like each one of us. We know certain things, and our children are still coming up. And so, as, a, as an adult, we want to have our children do what's right. And that's basically what Christ was referring to here. The Father knew the answers. So I go to the Father and say, what do I do? I'm going to follow him. So Christ wasn't in disunity with the Father. He was in unity. They, they agreed on everything. And Chapter 5 verse 30 says, I of myself, I of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So again, it's emphasizing there is unity. It's too often, you know, I went through the part to show that God pointed you know, uh, pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists he, he he appoints different people and sometimes we want to argue with that but christ said i don't argue with it it's the father's decision and it's just something that he wanted us to be able to do to follow his example and in again he tells us that in john chapter 13 says for I, I have given you an example talking to the disciples in john chapter and we read this over and When we went through the Passover, I set you an example that you should do as I have done. If Christ listened to the Father, and he was unified with the Father, he's telling us that's what we need to do. Now, he appoints people. Sometimes we want to take the appointment upon ourselves. But if we do that, we're not following Christ's example. Now, here he was. He remembered. He was the Creator. He talked to Adam. He talked to Noah. He talked to Abraham. These are people that walked with him. And he said we should follow his example. So if his example was, Father, teach me, then we should say, Father, show me and I'll follow what you have to say. Because he wants us to be unified. Again, in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, or even here, hitherto were you called. So, we're called, this is like the disciples were, or the apostles. You were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that we should follow his steps. So, if Christ and the Father are unified, if Christ always went to the Father to find out what direction we ought to go into, the, the example is, we need to say, okay, I want to know what you have to say. And he, Christ appointed people. They didn't take these jobs themselves. Moses tried to get out of it. He said, hey, uh, I can't speak. So what did God do? He said, okay, you don't have to speak. I'll give you Aaron. He can, I'll tell you, you tell Aaron. Again, it's a unified direction, isn't it? God told Moses, Moses told Aaron, and Aaron did the speaking. So they were in agreement, and every time you had a disagreement, something major happened. Every time God gave to Israel something and they rebelled, they suffered because he wants them to be unified. So i want to go on now, and, and I'm going to go to using, because this is the Passover time, the Days of Unleavened Bread, I'm going to go back to some of the Passover and point out some things that might be beneficial to us. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. This is where they were there, Passover meal. Verse 20 starts says, Likewise also the cup uh, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So here Christ is saying, He gave us examples. That's why we do the Passover. We are wanting to follow what Christ did. And he's restored knowledge to us. And all of us here are following that example that Christ sent. 21, but behold, the hand of him that betrayed me is with me on the table. He's pointing out that Judas Iscariot was right there. Judas Iscariot took the bread and the wine. And yet he was there with Christ, with the rest of the disciples, but he didn't hate the man. He he knew he would be there. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it is determined, but woe to, to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them should uh, it was that should do this thing. So, You know, it would be like us sitting right here and someone getting up and saying, or Christ being here saying, Look, there's one person in here that's going to betray me. I'm going to be put to death. And somebody sitting here is going to turn me in. And then we would all sit here and say, Well, won't be me because I know who I am now. We'd probably try to find out which one of it is. We would say, I know it's not me, but maybe it's my wife, or maybe it's Gordon, or Daryl, you know, somebody like this. We'd be looking at somebody else. And that's what they began to do. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So they were looking at who's going to be the greatest of a bunch. And Moses didn't think he was the greatest. He had a great job. Uh, I was just talking to I think with Gordon, the head of the service in here. You know, Moses, when they approached him to take over, you know, David and Byron were firstborn. They felt that they should be in charge of the nation of Israel. They were saying, we're the greatest. And what did Moses do? His example was, he fell on his face and said, Father, forgive them, you know. He, he didn't want, he knew what could happen. He knew that God would not take that lightly. But, a lot of times we get out here and think, I'm the greatest. or well, we want to be the teacher, or we want to be the person in charge of the hall, or song leader, or whatever. We want to be the person that's up in front that everybody looks at. But that's not what we should be doing. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be uh, as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does service. So if we're going to be great, and I think, and we preach this, that we're just a setup crew. We're just servants preparing the way for when God begins to bring people back together. And if we're going to be that way, it brings us down to unity, doesn't it? We're going to have to learn how to be unified because there's no way that if we're disunified, that people are going to want to be here. so we've got to set an example like Christ did so we're not to, we're to be servants we're to serve each other and serve and be ready to help others when they come. for whether it's greater, he that sits at meat or he that serves is not he that sits at me, but I am among you as he that serves. So Christ is saying, I was unified with the Father. I did the creation. I had everything. But what am I doing now? I'm serving you. And basically, he was better than us. He never sinned. We will come up to that point and fall short of that mark. You are they which have continued with me uh, in my temptations. And I appointed unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. So here Christ is saying, look, I've got a kingdom coming that my Father has appointed to me and I'm appointing one to you. So he wants us to be unified. He wants us to be together. That you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging 12 tribes of Israel. And then, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. How many of us would Satan like to get to? He'd like to get any one of us, especially somebody that stands up in front of others and speaks. Satan would like to destroy them. He'd like to leave them aside. But Christ wasn't going to let that happen. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and that when you are uh, converted, strengthen your brethren. Notice he said, when you are converted. Christ knew at that moment in time, Peter was not converted. He was a human being, making mistakes, falling short. And he was a strong person, wasn't he? Physically, he was had to be fairly strong to be efficient in those days, They didn't have, uh, I don't think they had, the winches and stuff they have in this day and time, but they pulled nets in by hand. And I can remember being in Texas and we went out one Saturday night, camped out down at uh, Galveston, about 30 or so of us, and we took a 100-foot seine net out. And let me tell you, it's tough pulling that seine net in. Especially when you capture a lot of fish in it. You have to be pretty strong. So, Peter was a strong individual, but Satan was still going to sift him as wheat. But Christ prayed that he wouldn't do that. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. A strong man. He said, I'm going to die if that's what it takes. I'm going to go to prison if that's what it takes. But notice what what Christ said to Peter. He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that. You shall three times deny me that you know me. Deny that you know me. He's a strong man. We know that when they came to take Christ, he's the one that pulled the sword. He took off the ear of one of the servants. So Peter was not... A, a weak individual. He was bold and brassy and out in front. But here Christ said, You're going to deny me. He's a strong man. Well, we can talk to some of you out here who are strong, you know, real strong individuals aren't, and say, Hey, I would give my life for Christ. But Christ knew that Peter was not converted at that point in time. And I'd go to John eighteen And this is the very instant that Christ foretold. Here's a strong man. He's there in the garden. Took off the ear of the high priest. I mean, one of the servants of the high priest. Christ put it back on. They put Christ in chains. Took him off down to the high priest's place. Peter followed behind him. He's sitting down there. Verse 17. Then said the damsel that uh, kept the door unto Peter. Are you, uh, are not uh, you also one of this man's disciples? And what did Peter say? A strong person who had just hours before said, I will die with you. I will go to prison with you. Whatever it takes. And Peter said, I'm not. (laughs) How about us? Am I not? I'm not, am I a disciple? What if somebody comes up to us today and says, Are you a disciple of Christ? Are we going to say, Hey, if they're there with guns and stuff, are we going to say, Yes, I'm ready to die for Christ. Verse 25, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they uh, and they said therefore unto him, Are not you also one of the disciples? And he denied it. And he said, I'm not. This is second time. Someone come out there, a period of time, they've been in there, uh, beating on Christ, they've been cursing him, they've been accusing him falsely. Second time, Peter says, oh no, not me, I'm not one of them. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest being a kinsman, uh, whose ear Peter cut off said, Did not I see you there in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crowed. Here, Christ, who said, I will die with you, I am unified with you, said, No, I'm not one. I'm not that person. You got me wrong. And it's interesting, he just didn't deny him the third time. Uh, Matthew 26. 74, the third time they came to Christ, Matthew gives a little bit more of what Peter said. Then, after Christ they the man approached him and said, you're one of them, Peter says, then began he to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock closed. Can you imagine? yourself saying, I am with God, I am unified with Him. And here Peter, who was with Him for three and a half years, witnessed miracles. He himself had gone out and cast out demons and healed people. But here he cursed and sweared. And so I don't know the man. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which... Said to him before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times and immediately, you know, it says he went out and whipped bitterly. But I want to bring out a little bit more there in Luke 22 and the Lord turned when Peter said that. When Peter cursed and said, no, I am not him. Why Peter went out and whipped bitterly? Because when it did, it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the words the Lord, how he had said before the cock crow, you shall deny me three times. Think about that. Here Peter said, I don't know him and cursed. Christ turned around, who'd been being beat on, he'd been cursed and accused, and looked at Peter eye to eye, and their mind transferred. And Christ looked at Peter knowing that Peter was not converted and saying in his mind, I don't hate you, Peter. Can you, can you think of that, that here you deny Christ and Christ say, I still love you. I'm not going to charge you with this because I'm doing this for you. And that would be awful hard, I think, as an individual to sit out there and have your Savior will look at you after you've just denied him and know that they are going to kill him, and then say, I still love you. No matter what you have done to me, or the way you have accused me or denied me, I still love you. I ask the question then, have we as an individual in our life at any time denied Christ? Well, we will say no, I... I've never denied it, but in reality, have you ever denied Christ? Can we look at Christ eye to eye and him say to us, that's okay, I still love you. I understand. I'm still doing this because I love you. Well, what about each other? We're to be unified, right? How many times do we look at each other and find fault with somebody else? Do we look them in the eyes and, and then come back and look back at us and say, I still love you? But when we do that, it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to find something that you, someone else does that you don't like. And it bothers you. And we have to go home and repent. I know I had to do that after one of these tours we had because I found fault and I shouldn't have. And go home and ask God to forgive me, because I know that the people love you just like you love them, and you want to be unified. But isn't it interesting that it's that Christ said in Matthew 25:40? You look at some example in Matthew 25:40, and the king shall answer and say to them, "Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to." Unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So if we look at each other and condemn them or deny them or whatever it is, we're doing it to Christ. So when I ask the question, have we ever denied Christ? Have we? Have we denied Christ by having a problem with a brother or sister in Christ? If we have, we've done it to Christ. And Christ is looking into your heart, because we read the Bible, we get in prayer, and Christ is saying to you, that's okay. It's right. I'll forgive you if you repent. If you'll get down and say, yes, I don't want to be that way. I want to change my life. So, here Christ has made it pretty personal, hasn't it? And we can say, "Yeah, I've never been—I've never denied Christ. Every time He's told me to do something, He told me to keep the Passover, uh, to find an equinox." But how much of the church doesn't do it that way? How many times have we found that there's something changed that maybe we should do foot washing afterwards and not before? It would make a change. But some people don't. Can we say that? Well, they're just denying the the information that God poured out unto his servant. Well, we're denying the servant, then we're denying Christ, aren't we? We're saying, we don't have to listen. We don't want to be unified with you, Christ. But that's what happens. And so on a personal basis, on a a one-on-one relationship with Christ, we have to have a one-on-one relationship with each other. Or we're looking down on Christ. Peter denied Christ. He really didn't want to. But he also didn't want to go through being beaten either. <laughs> you. we are one body, just as Christ said. If we do it to the, least, somebody we call least in the family of God, we're doing it to Christ. Because that's what he said right there. We are one body. It's our responsibility to do things as a one body. Ephesians 5 verse 30 says we are members of his body. Paul was inspired to write we are members of the body of Christ and of his flesh and of his bone. Did we not take the Passover and and take that piece of bread that that we recognize when Christ was tied to that stake and the Roman officer went in there with that whip and a cat of nine tails and cracked that whip and it reached in there and just ripped a piece of flesh off. And it ripped his flesh so many places and so much that he looked down and said, I can see my bones looking back at me. We took that. And we are, as it says here in Ephesians 5, we are of his flesh and of his bones. So we belong to Christ. So again, when Christ said, if you do it to one of these my brethren, you're doing it to me, because we are all part of the body of Christ. Again in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Know you not that your bodies are members of Christ? And here Paul had to get on to the Corinthians. He said, look, you are a part of Christ. You need to be unified with Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a heart? We're part of the body of Christ. We are one body. He's emphasizing again, it's a unified body. It has to be. First Corinthians twelve. Twelve starting in verse twelve. Christ pointing out that we are one body. First Corinthians twelve verse twelve. For as the body is one and has many members, and all members of that body, are members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. Look at your body. You've got hands and fingers and feet. All of that, he's created, is one body. Your fingers are not separate from the rest of your body. He goes on and explains that here. For by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body. So when we're baptized and had hands laid on us, we bury the old man and hands laid on us, we receive that spirit, the same spirit that was given to Christ, is given to us, that Paul had, that Moses had. We all have the same spirit. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit, Again, emphasizing, we all have the same spirit. Christ himself, in I think it's uh, John 14, speaks of, of uh, he said, When I leave you, I will not leave you alone. I will give you another comforter, give you the spirit. And if we study into that, you'll see that that spirit is the spirit of Christ and the spirit of the Father. So they're dwelling in us, if we're unified with them. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, we can say that. And how many of the congregations of the Church of God, scattered everywhere, are coming up and saying, we're the only part of the body. You can't be part of the body because you're not part of us. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Since it's all one body, maybe scattered out in different places, and when God's ready, He'll bring it back together. And we know we've read the scripture that said it's going to be more spectacular than it was when worldwide was there. Not because of greatness in size or the amount of money, but because of the unification, being one, being following Christ. Um. And if the ear shall say, "Because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body," therefore, it's not part of the body. No, your ears and your eyes are both part of the same body. If the whole body were an eye, where would it be the it? We would see that, you know. Paul is saying that you can't be just one particular thing. It's got to be everything is everything. Nay, more than these of the body which seem to be more feeble or more unnecessary. So it's like our liver or our heart or our lungs. Are they not necessary? Can we say we can be an eye or an ear or a foot? Or we're the head, we're the knowledge, we're the teachers. We don't need the heart which depicts love and, and compassion. And the liver, which keeps us operating, you know, we might be toenails, but we're all important, aren't we? And these members of the body, which we think are least honorable, these we bestow more on, uh, abundant honor, and our in, uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. So Christ said, "Our body is very important." Verse twenty-six, and whether one member suffers. All members suffer with it. When one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Can we do that? If we're going to be unified, if one person's hurting, we're all hurting. We all pitch in and help out. And I've seen that here. We built this building. We built another building. We put up barns. We all pitch in and help out. But that's the way the whole church is supposed to be. And now you are the body of Christ. And members in particular. So again, pointing out, we're all part of that body. We all have an important part. That we're all to be unified. First uh, Peter three, verse eighteen. For Christ also has once suffered for sin, for the just, the just for the unjust, and that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. So Christ was willing to give up his life for you and for the world. You know, John 3, 16 and 17 says, God gave the world his son. He made that sacrifice. And 17 says, not to condemn the world, but that the world could have everlasting life and peace and harmony. first John, John 2, verse 2. And he is the perpetuation for our sins. So Christ became sin for us. Like I brought out there, it talked about Christ, Emmanuel, speaking to Adam and Eve, and said, when they have today sin. you're going to have to live this way. You're going to have to till the ground and fight the darkness and put up with all these things until I come in the flesh and die and pay that penalty and they'll set the way and make the way for eternal life and not only ours only but also for the sins of the whole world so christ didn't just do it for the church he's done it for the whole world he's looking for unity everywhere christ has given up a lot for each one of us he wants us to be unified in Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing will offend them. Was Christ offended at Paul, I mean at Peter? Peter who cursed him? Because he told him ahead of time, You're going to deny me. I understand it. I know human beings because I create human beings, and I've seen what's happened. And yet, in Psalm 165, Christ speaking through David said, Great peace have they that love God's law. Even Ross LeBaron understands that we are commandment keepers. We love God's law. So we should be at peace. We should have great peace. And we shouldn't let anything offend us. But do we? How many times do we have a brother, a sister, say something, and we get offended over it? little things. so doesn't mean anything. Most of the time it's it's like childbearing and you expect your three or four or five-year-olds to know as much as uh, you are at 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. And they don't know it. But because it bothers us then we become extra harsh on our kids and that's not good. But Christ's love is to take them aside Well, you made a mistake and you set up a punishment, and they know ahead of time, but then you give them love, too. So we're not offended, and and what happens with parents, we get offended at our kids, because they don't do things like we would do them. And we might be just bums, we don't let anything happen around our house, or we could be so particular, everything has to be right in a very special spot, and if it's not there, you'd really get uptight if your kid's moving. Well, that's not what Christ is saying. We don't get offended because we love God's law, and we love God's law, we love our children, and our children will love us, and we teach our children to love us. It's like God teaches us to love him. So Christ was never offended at Peter, even though Peter denied him, and he, he could have stood there beside him, but he didn't. But Christ did not get offended at, at Peter because of the love that he had. Therefore, should we get offended? Should we get offended at each other? No. It's easy though, we do that when it's easy to do it. It's easy to get offended at each other. And you get, you can probably get upset at yourself when you do because you know, it really didn't mean anything anyway. It's not important. Because God wants us to be at peace and have unity. 1 Peter 2 verse 6-10. 1 Peter 2 6-10. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. So Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's precious. And if we believe that he is the God, if it's in our heart that he's here, we shouldn't be confounded about anything. We should just be able to have the kind of love, as we read earlier, Christ set the example and have that kind of example that he had. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which uh, disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner. So it doesn't make a difference. Christ is still the head of the church. He's still the one that gives us the guidance. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them, which stumbled at the words. And How many people stumble at God's word? And we see that all the time. We've had people coming out like Since I've been in, in coming to the church in 1963, I've seen a lot of people stumble, stumble at the words, and we know that there's a, the parable Christ gave with the summer. seed scattered, and some of it was picked up by birds. They stumbled just at, just after it was scattered. Some stumbled when it had the first little trial, something a little bit hard. Uh, do you know Christ, or do you know the word, or are you a Christian? You know, then they stumbled and they left. And some stumbled when they got caught up in the world affairs. We can't do that we We know we read well, uh revelation eighteen four said "Come out of her, my people, come out of this world. I've seen people stumble when they were told to give up this world, some part of this world, but they stumbled at it, and then they looked down and took light of who God sent and made. Ahead, made a pastor or a teacher. And they stumble at that. But he goes on in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. It's like I was reading back there in those pages... God said Adam would get a chance to come back or mankind, speaking of mankind, would be able to come back into the light. And that's what we did. When Christ came, he brings us back into the light. We have light that people don't have because he opens the door of our minds because he wants us unified. Which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we have mercy, and we have light, and God wants us to work toward being unifying. There's ways to do that. He says, I want you that way. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man, and endured with knowledge among you, that him show out of the good conversation of his works with meekness and wisdom. So, we've got to show good works, not bad works, not like so many people in the world. But we've got to strive toward doing the things that will bring praise and honor and glory to the Father. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not, and lie not against the truth. So, don't put things as stumbling blocks in front of yourself. Work toward unity, work toward being what God wants. Verse fifteen. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Well, we don't want to live in confusion, do we? We want to be like God, like Christ, who are unifying They they think alike, they agree, Christ agrees to what the Father wants, and that's what he wants from us. Christ wants us to agree to do the things. It's easy to get upset and put things out and fight one with another. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, easy to entreat, full of mercy and good fruit and without partiality and without hypocrisy. So Christ wants us to be, have good fruit. He wants us to produce the fruit so that when the time comes, it's his time schedule to bring the church back together, that we will be there and set the right light. That the world will Want to follow eventually. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So we have to learn to make peace and not, and and if you're making peace, you're going to be unified. If you're not making peace, you're going to be disunified. You're going to find fault and we don't want to do that. We want to be unified. Just like Christ. And we want to know that every time that we had a problem, and one of you look at each other, or if I've said some of the things and I can look at you and you can say, I still love you, no matter what you've done. I forgive you. Just like Christ would look at Peter, eye to eye, mind transferring, saying, that's okay. I can understand. I can forgive you. Proverbs 14 verse 30. Proverbs 14 30. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy and the rottenness of the bones. So, if we've got a sound heart, if we've got a good heart, that's going to bring peace. But if we envy one another, and we know Christ didn't envy Peter. Christ didn't have any animosity toward Peter. Even though he denied him, he still loved him. For, uh, chapter 27, verse 4. Wrath uh, is cruel and anger is outrage, but who is able to stand before envy? So it's difficult if somebody's envious to stand before them, but our heart should be willing to forgive them, no matter what they do to us. We should be willing to overlook it. Uh, was it Peter or well, James says that if you find a brother? committing the sin, whether it be against you or whatever, and you show him the right way to go, and he changed and repents, you've covered a sin. And that's something we should be doing, is helping each other to live godly lives and not go out there and say, I see what he did, or I see what she did. They're sinners. So that doesn't bring peace or unity. either. It just causes more destruction in, inside the family. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I, I would, and that I should be found unto you as such as you would not, lest there be debate, envying, wrath, strife, backbiting, whispering, swelling, and tumult. So Christ said, "That's," I mean, Paul is talking to the Corinthians said, "I don't want you being this way. This not that's not a unified group of people. You got to get rid of everything that's going to cause dissension." In Luke chapter twenty-two, here Peter has just denied Christ. He'd already gone out. Peter denied Christ, been his friend. He was wicked for three and a half years, and the men that held Jesus mocked him. So, this is what happened to Christ. After Peter left, they mocked him and smote him, and when they had uh, blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, prophesy who smote you. And many other uh, things blasphemous spoke there against him. So Peter left. And this is what our Savior went through. Peter went out crying. He was very remorseful. It broke his heart that he did exactly what Christ said he would do. And knowing what they were doing to his Savior that day. You know, Christ did that for us. He went through every bit of that for each one of us. And Christ asks and expects us to turn around when each, any one of us do something to each other, that we can say, I still love you. And we sin, there's not a one of us that's not a sinner. And, you know, Christ still says, I love you if you repent. Matthew 27, verse 28. And they stripped him and put him on his, on his scarlet robe. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed their knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Think of this as what our Savior went through. All of this week we're going through to look into our own personal lives and see where we made mistakes. Are we denying Christ in any way? Are we looking into our own personal life and say, yeah, I should have done that, should I? Well, oh, yep, that's a, that's a splitter or a, a loaf maybe. And we we'll think about what Christ had gone through there. And they spit on him and they took the reed and smote him in the head and After they had mocked him and they took the robe off him, they put on his raiment upon him and led him away to crucify him. This whole week, we look back toward Passover, what Christ did for us. How he gave up his life, and how often we deny him by denying each other. So we've got to finish up here, we've got what? One more day, and still we've got our life in front of us, we should constantly be looking toward what's in our heart. And that can be toward anybody. We can look down on anybody. And Christ himself didn't do that, did he? He forgave each one of us. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Wherefore... Seeing we also are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every weight, everything that bothers us, everything that, you know, didn't fit my pattern of my life. said, lay, lay those aside. And the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us. So he said, we've got a race to run. We can't allow little trivial things separate us. we've got to pull for each other. we've got to pick us up and carry us each other, help each other to make it, looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the state, despising the shame and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God Christ took it with joy can we take somebody being angry at us or finding fault with us still love them still take it with joy that you have an opportunity to to still love them for consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself lest you be weary and faint in your minds we so said Get out there and remember that Christ endured all these things. And don't let it weight you down to the point you become disillusioned or you become angry or bitter. You know, you become bitter and bitter. And before you know it, you're not going to be a part of the body of Christ. You won't be unifying. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, we're going to be like Christ again. He set the example. Arm ourselves with the same mind that Christ had. He forgave Peter. He loved Peter, and he forgave him. Jesus Christ, or Emmanuel, the Christ, God with us. We can actually be truly people that say, God is with us. If we're willing and ready to accept the things that God gives to us, we can say, the Emmanuel, God with us, who was mocked and beaten, died for all humanity. How much greater love is there than that? How can we do anything better than that? So if we're going to be unified, we have to be just like Christ and the Father. In his closing prayer, he said, I in you, you in me, uh, you in me, I in them. And we are both in them. He he wants to be unified with us. And if we're going to be unified with Christ, we're going to be unified with each other. has to be. We cannot point the finger. We cannot look down on each other. We have to always remember, Christ looked in Peter's eyes when he's igniting the third time, And the cop crowed and he turned around and he was eyeball to eyeball and said, I love you, Peter. I knew you were going to do it. I'm not accusing you. I'm not holding it against you. I forgive you. That's where we need to be, with each other. If we're with each other that way, then we're with Christ. That's the end of the Bible study.